tonight. I hope you've had a good week, and I'm glad you're here to study God's Word. We're going to be in Judges 17 tonight. We concluded the story of Samson a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we're just going to continue on. Uh, Judges 17, we're going to start in verse 1. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to read along. Uh, We're going to read through uh, verses 1 through 13, the whole chapter. We're going to attempt to do the whole chapter, short chapter, uh, kind of an odd chapter tonight, kind of an odd story the way it starts out. We're just kind of thrown into a story that we don't really have any background in, uh, and some of the things we talk about may just seem like they don't make a whole lot of sense or may not seem of any significance, but part of what we read tonight is uh, building up for what's going to happen in Judges 18, and uh, even in what we read tonight, maybe there are some things in it that God wants to show us, and uh, so hopefully God's Word will speak to us tonight, and uh, we'll get something from it. So let's pray, and then we'll dig into the text. God, we come to you, and we thank you for your word. I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that you would help me to preach and teach in a way that's going to bring glory to you. And I thank you for this opportunity to share your word. And I pray, God, that we get something from it, that we learn from it, and that we grow from it. And I pray that you just glorified in this place tonight. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Judges 17, verse 1. There was a man from the hill country of Ephraim named Micah. He said to his mother, The eleven hundred pieces of silver taken from you, and that I heard you utter a curse about, here, I have the silver with me. I took it, so now I return it to you. Then his mother said, My son, you are blessed by the Lord. Now, we're introduced to the story here that we're just kind of thrown into. Uh, there's a woman who's lost eleven hundred pieces of silver. And it's her son, Micah, who turns out to be the main character in this passage we're reading, who took this silver. Now, he returns the silver to his mom, and he confesses what he has done. Now, his mom has a a good response, a positive response. She says, look, may the Lord bless you. So uh, there's a little praise for the Lord that's going on. She's happy about what's taking place. Uh, Maybe she's just really happy she got the silver back. Maybe she's just happy her son did the right thing. Uh, He did the wrong thing by taking the silver, but maybe she was pleased that he had confessed that he had taken it and returned it to him. And so here we see the story, and we're introduced to what has taken place, and this silver in the story is about to play an important role in the events that occur afterwards. Let's read on in verse 3. He returned the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother, and his mother said, I personally consecrate the silver to the Lord for my son's benefit to make a carved image overlaid with silver. Now, here we have a little mention of the Lord. So it appears as though Micah and his mother must know about the Lord. Now, they are people of Israel, and so they would have some knowledge of the Lord, even though throughout the book of Judges to this point, we've seen that uh, Israel hasn't really done a good job worshiping the Lord. At least there is knowledge of the Lord here in this story that we're reading. She's already asked that the Lord would bless Micah after he confessed to stealing it. And now she's consecrating this silver that's been returned to the Lord. She's saying, hey, Lord, you brought this silver back to me, so therefore, God, I'm going to give it back to you. But the way that she gives it back to the Lord is not in a good way. It's not the way that the Lord would have her to uh, serve him and worship him. Uh, So what she says she's going to do in that verse is she's going to use the silver uh, to make a carved image. And so she's going to take it to the silversmith, it tells us in the following verses, get it melted down and overlay this this carved image, this idol uh, that she's going to uh, 
give to her son uh, so that the Lord can be worshipped. Now, this is a big problem. This is what the people of Canaan were doing. They had idols that they worshipped. That is, gods that were made by human hands. Now, God doesn't want us to worship things that, that we make with our own human hands. Oftentimes, there are materialistic things in the world that we may love, and while we may say they're not idols, while we may not make a shrine and bow down to them and say, oh, ye material thing that I have, how I love thee, we may not do that. But the things that we devote our time and our attention to and our thoughts to, the things that we really love, that we would be devastated if we lost them, well, those are the things that oftentimes are idols in our life. Now, there are things that we may be devastated if we lose them, say a loved one, and it's right to be devastated in those things, and that doesn't necessarily mean that that's an idol. But there are lots of things in our life that, boy, we'd be devastated if we lost them that are of no real significance, that are materialistic things that we just simply love more than we should. And oftentimes, that's the case. Now, in the case of Israel, what we see when we see idols mentioned are usually hand-carved images that they're bowing before. But I believe anything in our life that we put more focus on than the Lord and we love more than the Lord can become an idol in our life. And so here this woman had knowledge of the Lord, but in worshiping the Lord, she does so by making an idol. And that's not, that's not the way we should do things. There may be things in our life that even when we try to worship the Lord, that become idols to us. That is, things that maybe occur in our lives or occur in our churches, things that we put too much importance on that are not what God would desire for us to do. Maybe there are traditions that we do or things that we hold dear in the way that we do church that are not biblical things. Maybe they're not bad things, but they can become bad things if we begin to love the things that we do and how we do them more than we love the Lord. Even those types of things can become idols in our life. Let's read a little further. Verse 4. So he returned the silver to his mother, and she took five pounds of silver and gave it to a silversmith. He made it into a carved image overlaid with silver, and it was in Micah's house. So let's give Micah and his mother the benefit of the doubt here and say that they really are genuinely trying to serve the Lord in the best way they know how. They just don't know how. Now this could be a result of the fact that up until this point, Israel has gotten so far off track from the Lord, even though he's delivered them. Well, God's word's really not instilled in the people of Israel in the way it should be. So even though they have a knowledge of who the Lord is, they don't really go about serving him in the right way. They're getting this silver melted down to make these carved images. And while they have a knowledge of the Lord, they think they're doing the right thing, but they're not really doing what God would desire of them. Now, there may be many people in our world today that, that, that are going down this same path. Now, maybe they have knowledge of the Lord. Maybe you have knowledge of the Lord. You know a little bit about what God's Word says, and you know that He's God, but you don't really know how to go about serving Him. You don't know about what He really wants you to do in life. Now, a lot of times people say, oh, I know who the Lord is, and I love the Lord, and I'm just going to go to church a few times a year and I'll do a few good things here and there and, and God's going to love me and that's what God wants me to do. Well, does God want us to go to church? Well, sure he does. Sure he wants us to fellowship with other believers. Does he want us to do good things? Well, of course he does. But, but there's much more to a relationship with the Lord than just doing those couple of things. When we serve the Lord and we follow the Lord, we say, God, I want to be obedient to everything that you tell me to do in my life. I want you to teach me the right ways and show me the right ways. And how do we do that? Well, we do that 
by reading God's Word and knowing what God's Word says. And when we do so, we know and we find out and learn that a relationship with God is much more than just going through a few motions and maybe going to church once or twice a year or just doing a few good things. But serving the Lord means that we are going to put Him first and that we are going to try to get away from sin in our life and not give in to those things and continue to do good things and continue to love other people and to help meet the needs of other people. That's what God really desires for us to do. That's what God's call is in our life. And when we say we're going to follow the Lord or serve the Lord, that's what God wants us to do. Uh, we, don't, we don't worship the Lord by making uh, hand-carved images. Uh, our worship of the Lord is not just simply walking into a church or simply doing a good thing. But our worship of the Lord comes from the heart. And so when we worship in a church, or anywhere for that matter, with the right heart, that's what God really desires for us. When we do a good thing, we shouldn't do it just to say we've done a good thing, but we should be driven to those good things because we read about and learn about God and know that's what He does and know that's what He desires for us to do. Even though Mike and his mother had some knowledge of the Lord, they didn't know enough of the Lord to really serve Him uh, and live for him in the way that he wanted them to. Now, the way that we learn what the Lord wants us to do is we read his word and we see what God wants us to do. We learn it. We let him pour into us. We pour into other people, our friends, our family, our children. And that's how people are taught, hey, this is what's important and this is what's not important. And when we do that, it keeps us from getting off tracks and doing things like uh, uh, Micah and his mother did here where they begin to worship the Lord in a way that's really not what the Lord desires. Yeah, they knew the Lord, and I guess it was a good thing that they were trying to worship Him in some way. Uh, but if you go about that in the wrong way, it's oftentimes going to lead you off track from the Lord. If we allow things to come into our life, materialistic things or traditions or whatever it may be in our churches, uh, to pull us away from really wo focusing and, and worshiping the Lord, well, then, then we have to eliminate those things and not put so much significance on them. And that was the problem of Micah and his mother. They were worshiping the Lord, but in a wrong way. Let's read a little further. Verse 5, This man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household idols, and installed one of his sons to be his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever he wanted. So here we see that Micah did make this shrine. He even uh, established his own son to be the priest over this place of worship that he had uh, set up for the Lord. It says he made an ephod and household idols. Now, we see the term ephod maybe used in a couple of different ways in Scripture. Sometimes it's a piece of garment that the priest is to wear. But this mention of the ephod here, as well as the mention of the ephod uh, earlier in Judges with Gideon, uh, sounds like it may not be necessarily something that's worn, uh, but some type of idol that's carved. Because in the case of Gideon, the ephod that was made was made out of a lot of gold, and it was something that the people would come uh, and could worship at. And so uh, it seems like that that's not really a garment, and that may be the case here, that the ephod that's being talked about is not a garment worn by the priest, uh, but some type of idol that's to be worshipped. Now that would fit the story, because he's made these idols, he's made this carved image that was covered with this silver, and here we have this ephod. So there's this shrine that's set up, uh, this place of worship, and in a place of worship, obviously he knew that there needed to be a priest, and so he established his son to be the priest. Now, 
He did this because, as the scripture says in verse 6, that everybody did what they wanted to do. They did what was right in their own eyes because, it says, there was no king in Israel. Now, this is a, a phrase that we're going to see from this point forward in the book of Judges, from now to the end, mentioned repeatedly. There was no king in Israel at the time. The people did what was right in their own eyes. Now, this is kind of a bridge phase, a phrase, I believe, pointing us to the time of kings. Yes, God had used these judges for a while to deliver his people, but ultimately they were going to demand a king, even though that was not what they should have done. God was going to give in to their demand, and ultimately, even through that demand, he was going to bring Jesus Christ to be the ultimate perfect king as deliverer to his people all who will call on his name. That's you and I included. And so uh, the people didn't have a king at this time. They had been under the, the, the deliverance of the judges, but they didn't really have a real leader. Now, God was supposed to be their leader. They were supposed to listen to God, follow God, and serve God. Uh, but as we've seen through the book of Judges, they had failed to do that up until this point. And so they were just kind of doing the best that they knew how. Mike and his mother were trying to serve the Lord. They didn't uh, really know what they were supposed to do. It's apparent because they were making these idols and he was establishing his son as priest, but they were doing the best they could and they were doing what was right in their own eyes. Let's read a little further. Verse 7. There was a young man, a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, who resided within the clan of Judah. The man left the town of Bethlehem in Judah to settle wherever he could find a place. On the way, he came to Micah's home in the hill country of Ephraim. Where do you come from? Micah asked him. He answered him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to settle wherever I can find a place. So here the story kind of shifts gears, and we're introduced to a new character, this Levite man who's on a journey. He's looking for somewhere that he's going to get established, somewhere that he can live. And so Micah sees this as an opportunity. Now, a quick history lesson here. When we see a Levite mentioned, it was from the Levites that the priests came. Now, way back in the Old Testament, we saw a guy by the name of Jacob, and he had 12 sons. And one of his sons' name was Joseph. Now, Joseph had two sons of his own named Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, as the 12 tribes of Israel were Jacob's sons, uh, those were the tribes that were going to be allotted land when they entered into the Promised Land. But if you take Joseph out and give his portion to Manasseh and Ephraim, his sons, well, with the other 11 tribes that have already been mentioned, his other, Jacob's other 11 sons, well, that leaves us with 13. Except the tribe of Levi, his descendants, the Levites, were not to get a, an apportion, an allotment of land in the promised land. So you take that out, and the 12 uh, that were in the promised land had land scattered all throughout. The Levites, however, were to be the priest of God. And so the priests were to come from the Levites. All the priests were Levites, but not all the Levites were priests. There were some Levites that were not priests, but, uh, but they still lived in the land anyway. Even though the Levites didn't have a portion of land that was their own, if you go back and read in Joshua 21, you'll see that there were 48 cities that were set aside throughout the land, all around the other 12 tribes' lands. These cities were to be cities that the Levites could live in. It could be theirs. And so, even though the Levites didn't have land of their own, they did have places around. And it was from the Levites that the priests came. So you can kind of see maybe where the story's going. He had just appointed his son priest, but now this Levite has come through on his way looking for a place to stay. And Micah says, Aha, 
Ah, now I see an opportunity. Let's read a little further. Verse 10. Micah replied, Stay with me and be my father and priest, and I will give you four ounces of silver a year, along with your clothing and provisions. So the Levite went in and agreed to stay with the man, and the young man became like one of his sons. Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in Micah's house. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me, because a Levite has become my priest. Now, this is an interesting story. Uh, he had appointed his son uh, as, as priest uh, initially, and now that this Levite has come onto the scene, Micah has said, hey, this guy, he's a Levite. God will see this, and he'll be proud that I've actually brought a Levi in to, to be my priest. Now, this is another, uh, I think, uh, clue that maybe Micah and his mother knew the Lord, that they knew a little bit about what God's Word said, because obviously he knew the Levites were supposed to be the priest, but even though they had knowledge of God and knowledge of some of God's word, they still didn't quite get it. They still weren't worshiping God in the right way. They were doing the best they could to, to set up some type of place of worship, but they weren't really serving the Lord in the way that they should. And that may be true for some of us today. Maybe in some of our churches, uh, they've been set up in a way that whoever set them up or the way things are done, maybe the ones who begin to do things the way they are done, had good intentions, and they were serving the Lord as best they could, but even still, maybe there are things in our churches that we've implemented that are not of God, things that are drawing us away from God, things that are not the way that God would have us to do things, things that are cause, causing us to focus more on our love for our, our church and our building and the way things are done than we do on the Lord himself. But the way that we combat that is we stay in God's Word, and we see what God really desires of us, what really matters. And it's not about our building or how big it is or the way that we dress or the way things look or any of those things, how much money we give or how often we even come. That's not what really matters to the Lord. What really matters to the Lord is that we know Him and that our heart is focused on Him and that we seek His Word to do what He really called us to do. And even though... Mike and his mom knew some things about the Lord. They didn't know his word good enough that their heart wasn't truly on him. They didn't really know what he desired of them. And we don't want to make that same mistake. We, 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 we are able to escape that by studying his word and seeing what it says so that we don't fall into that trap in our own lives or even in our churches so that God really is who's at the forefront, who's being worshiped more than anything and not these idols or these ways of the world that may have crept their ways into our place of worship just as they had crept their way into Micah's place of worship. On the flip side, we have this Levite here who is, who is coming in and it appears as though that he's not a priest of God, but he sees this as an opportunity to uh, maybe make some money. And so Micah says, hey, I'll give you silver and provisions and a place to stay. And the Levite says, hey, sounds good to me. And this whole way they did things uh, was not really the way it was supposed to be done. Uh, a man who's going to be to, to serve for God needs to be a man or a woman who is called by God. If we're going to serve as in ministry as a pastor, a preacher, a, 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 a missionary, or, or whatever it may be, if we're going to serve the Lord, we need to make sure that we are called by God. Now, that may be a hard thing to know, and maybe some of you feel like you're called to serve the Lord. I'd be glad to talk to you about it. I, I know it's, it's hard to explain, maybe, 
I can uh, talk to you about my own experiences and, and, and pray, for, pray with you along the way. But you may feel like God is calling you, and he may be, or maybe he's not. We have to be able to discern between those things. But if you feel like you're called to serve, then that's the reason why you serve, not because uh, the money looks good. That seems to be the case of this Levite. Well, the money and the provision looked good, and that was his uh, reason that he was going to serve. So for Micah, it looked good. Hey, here's a man that looks like he can fill the part. And for Le- uh, the, the Levite, he says, hey, here's here's uh, some comfort for me. And so it was kind of a match that came together. But it wasn't really what the Lord wanted. And maybe that's the case in some of our churches today. There are some churches who know the Lord, and maybe they're kind of trying to do the right thing, but they're not going by the Word of God. They're going by things of the world. And, and they, they look for a person and say, hey, he looks good, and we're going to bring him in here without really seeking the Lord and saying, hey, does that man really love the Lord? Is that man called by the Lord? Is that who the Lord wants us to call? On the flip side, there may be people who look at ministry as just a profession, just a career, a way to make money. And I hope, I hope that that's not the case if any of you may be watching this. Uh, but maybe there are some in the world who do. Maybe there are other, other people in ministry who really are called by the Lord, but even still in ministry. Boy, there's that temptation there, right? We want comfort. It's always good to have more money and to be in a place where you like to be and to be in a good spot and, and to be in a big church. I mean, those things are tempting to, to want that bigger stage and to want those better provisions. Those things are tempting even for men and women who really are called by the Lord. But let's make sure, if you're someone in ministry watching this, that don't, don't give in to that temptation. Ask God to help you overcome it. I know it's tough. I get it. We are human beings and those worldly things look good to us. But when a church comes together and is not really living out the word of God and doing things the way God desires, and when a man comes who's not really doing what the Lord calls, when those two get together, boy, even though there may be people who genuinely love the Lord involved on both sides, it's going to be hard for a group, for a body, for a church to really serve the Lord and live for him in the way that he would desire us to. Now, Micah and his mother and this Levite, they probably all knew about the Lord but they didn't know about the Lord in the way that he wanted them to. It's important for us to study God's word, to know what God's word says so that we can do our best to live by God's word, so that we can do our best to live for the Lord. Not for the world, not for how it may benefit us, not for how it may make us look, not for how comfortable it may make us feel, not for for, for what we want, Because we can't fall into the trap that we see at the end of Judges, that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. As individuals and as churches, let us not do what's right in our eyes, but let us do what's right in God's Word, what God calls us to, what God desires of us, and what God requires of us. And what He wants more than anything is for us not to get caught up in the things of the world, but for us to get caught up in Him and love Him. And if churches love the Lord and seek Him in His Word and seek to live by even if it may go against some of the things that you've always done. If we live by God's word as churches, and if we live by God's word as ministers, as preachers, as missionaries, then I can tell you the result is going to be something beautiful. But if we live by what looks good in our own eyes, we'll never meet the full potential that God wants us to meet. We'll never be as strong and as powerful for the kingdom of God as we can be. Let us not do what's right in our own eyes tonight, but let us do what God calls us to do, to put him first, And not worry about what we want, but worry more about what he desires for our life. Let's pray. God, I thank you for these words, and I pray that you just would bless them. I pray that you would help them to stick in our heart and and recall them when we need to. Let the Holy Spirit speak to each one that's watching tonight the words that we read, God. 
There may be something totally different that you reveal to their life that I didn't say, God, and I pray that you just would help us to to hear whatever you reveal to us and to understand it and to grow from it. And we thank you for these words. I thank you for the story. And I pray that you help us, God, not to do what's right in our eyes, but to do what you command us to do through your word and do what's right by you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. To learn more about Jesus, call or text Pastor Shan at 601-657-0180 or email him at shanvnme.com. You can also visit us at www.enterprisebaptist.church or follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ebcliberty. We hope that you have been blessed by today's service.